Section 16 of Pitt by Archibald Primrose, Lord Rosebery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, Part 1, Pitt and Wellesley. It may be well here to desist for a moment from the task of description and to give the reader a glimpse of the true Pitt afforded by himself. His friendships were few, but they were close, and even tender, to a remarkable degree. Of Wilberforce and him it was said that they were like brothers. A scarcely less affectionate, though a later intimacy, was with Lord Mornington, afterwards Lord Wellesley, the great viceroy whose brilliant rule in India conferred such renown on himself, though it afterwards disabled him to a great extent for the rough and tumble of English party strife. To him the following letters were addressed. Footnote. These letters, which are in some respects the most interesting that we have of Pitt's, have been made available for this little book by the generous kindness of Mr. Alfred Montgomery. End footnote. The first was evidently written in 1796, when it may be presumed that Mornington was in Ireland. Downing Street, September 22nd, undated but evidently 1796. My dear Mornington, I have waited from day to day, by no fault of my own, much longer than I wished or expected, in the hope of seeing my way as to our official arrangements and being able to write you something positive respecting yourself. I am happy now to tell you that there is no obstacle to accomplishing what I have from the beginning eagerly wished to find practicable, and that I shall certainly be enabled to open for you either the office of joint paymaster or some other equally desirable. A very few days will settle the specific mode. We mean to choose the Speaker on Sunday, but to defer opening the causes of calling the Parliament till after the members are sworn, probably till Tuesday Senite. This will avoid the inconvenience of making or at least delivering the speech so long before it can be debated, which is very material at a time that every day produces such important events. We have fresh accounts today of continued success up to the 8th, when the Archduke was advanced to Wetzlar. Nothing can equal the rapidity of his progress. Nequero disjunctissimae terrae citius cuiusquam passibus paragrari patuerunt, quam suis non dicam cursibus, sed victoriis illustratae sunt. Footnote. Slightly altered from Cicero. Pro Marcus Marcello, Oratio Secundo Quintus. The present reading is, I am informed, Lustratae. End footnote. Our overture has been sent to Paris above a fortnight, but we have got no answer, nor any late accounts of what is passing there yet. Ever sincerely yours, W. Pitt. The next two refer to Mornington's desire for a peerage of Great Britain before setting out for India. As regards that wish, nothing need here be said, nor does Pitt seem able to comprehend the frame of mind in which such a desire could be formed. But his hearty zeal in his friend's cause is surely a pleasant feature. The second of these notes was written on the very day, October 4, 1797, on which Mornington was formally appointed Governor-General of India. Hollywood, Tuesday, October 3, 1797, one-half post, 9 p.m. My dear Mornington, 
I cannot easily say how much gratification I felt in opening and reading your letter from knowing that as far as depends upon me, I had anticipated both your reasoning and your wishes. I had written to the king some hours before, requesting as strongly as I thought myself at liberty to do, that you should be included in the list of peers. I will not pretend to you that I had quite convinced my judgment, but I certainly felt it one of the occasions on which I had the best right to consult my inclination, and I could not reconcile myself to the idea of leaving to such uncertain chance as belongs to these times my hope of being able to contribute to the success of what seems with you so favored a wish. You will of course know the result from me tomorrow. I have put it in the way I thought most likely to overcome objections, but I cannot venture to state the thing to you as what you can count upon till I receive the king's answer, as he seemed most strongly bent against every extension of the list, and it is one of the points on which he is most apt to adhere to his opinion. I trust from what I hear from Dundas that there is very little chance indeed that the second part of your case, your not going to Bengal, will arise. As we shall know the result on that so soon, I will say no more about it. Ever affectionately yours, W.P. The King's resistance did not last long. Downing Street, Wednesday, evidently October 4th, 1797, one-half-past one. My dear Mornington, if you happen to be disengaged, I shall be very glad to see you here at dinner today, soon after five, yours ever, W.P. I am most happy to tell you the King agrees to your peerage. The next letter gives a long and elaborate account of the state of affairs as it appeared to Pitt's sanguine apprehension. His sarcasm on the crown lawyers is characteristically cold and cutting. The allusion to Grenville shows that the somewhat crabbed character of that minister was recognized by his colleagues as a difficulty to be reckoned with. In this letter, too, occurs that account of a speech by Percival, which so impressed Pitt as to make him, on the morning of the duel, name Percival as probably the most available man to succeed him. His genial pleasure over the young man's success explains perhaps what the ordinary view of Pitt's haughty reserve does not, the idolatry with which so many of his followers, particularly the junior ones, regarded him. Wimbledon, January 26, 1798. My dear Mornington, you will hear, I trust, from various other correspondents who have more leisure, a much fuller history of all that has been passing since you left us, than I can pretend to give you, but I think you will like to hear from me, even if it is only to tell you as to myself, that in spite of six weeks of more fatigue and anxiety than has attended almost any other parliamentary campaign, I am greatly better than you left me, and I trust equal to fighting the battle as long as may be necessary. Our great measure of the assessed taxes was for some time apparently in great danger of failing, less from any real difficulty or even general dislike to it than from the impression of local and partial clamor and from the effect of a very great degree of panic which infected too many of those who are generally most free from it. It became necessary to show that at all risks I was determined to persevere in it, and by those means alone I believe it was carried. Opposition, I think, added to the odium and disgrace of their secession by returning from it on this occasion, 
and by the whole of their conduct and language upon it. Our last debate, to my great joy, produced a speech from Percival, which was in all respects one of the best I ever heard, and was an attack upon Fox, pointed and galling enough to have drawn forth one of Grattan's warmest encomiums. It certainly sent him home very sick to his supper. Since this effort, we have heard nothing of him but from the celebration of his birthday two days ago, in which the two most distinguished traits were a speech from the Duke of Norfolk, which I think even the Crown lawyers will hardly prove to be much short of treason, and a public profession from Horn Took of reconciliation and coalition with Fox, with which I think you will be delighted. On the whole, the line now taken by the whole of what calls itself opposition, with the exception of Gray and Whitbread, whom we neither see nor hear of, and especially by Fox, is a complete and undisguised avowal of the most desperate system ever acted upon, and I think it seems to be understood and felt as it ought, both in Parliament and in the country. The two great objects of our attention and exertion now are to endeavor to raise spirit enough in the country to contribute voluntarily to the expense of the war, such a sum as, in addition to the assessed taxes, may bring our loan within a moderate shape and next to be prepared both by sea and by land for the invasion which I have little doubt will be attempted in the course of the year, though the latter is much the easier work of the two. And I hope we shall have to make the option between burning their ships before they set out, or sinking them, either on their passage or before their troops can land, or destroying them as soon as they have landed, or starving them and taking them prisoners afterwards. Indeed, the scheme seems so romantic, without the prospect of any naval force to support it, that at any other moment it would not be credible, and it can hardly be attempted on any other notion but that it may be worth the enemy's while to devote two-thirds of an immense army to immediate destruction, for the sake of the mischief which the remainder may effect before they share the same fate. In the meantime, however, though on the whole I think the attempt will be made, there are two possible events which may prevent it. One is if there should be fresh confusion in France, which seems not distant, and of which the issue cannot be even conjectured. The other is if the new king of Prussia and the powers of the north should at last awaken, of which there is just now some appearance, but it is not yet decided enough to rely upon. The new decree aimed at our commerce, but tending to annihilate a large part of the profit of neutral nations, may perhaps, added to the danger of Hamburg and the north of Europe, bring Denmark, at least, if not Sweden or Russia, to be ready to enter into an effectual concert with Prussia. And this prospect may tempt Prussia to take a decided part, which, if it does, Europe will at last be saved. On the measure of voluntary contribution, you will not wonder to hear that all our friends have not thought alike. But at so extraordinary a moment, I have felt it so decidedly right that I have determined, as far as depends on me, to push it to the utmost, and though it has begun but languidly, I have now good hopes of success, as I have been enabled today to announce to the bank the king's intention of giving one-third of his privy purse and am, besides, furnished with such particulars as will enable me to satisfy the world, that he has no other fund from which he can command a shilling. 
we in office have thought it right to give an ample fifth of our income, and to my great satisfaction Grenville has concurred very readily in giving his personal share, though very adverse in his general opinion to the whole measure. I am very happy to be able to add, too, now that I mention his name, that I have not seen a cloud on his brow since the commencement of the session, and that everything has gone on as pleasantly and cordially as possible. I have now mentioned all that I think it will be interesting to you to learn, and you must at last, for the present, accept this picture of the times, which is as much as I can complete at one sitting, as a substitute for that which I owe you from Hopner, and which I hope will come one day or other. I conclude that you will have heard from different channels of the anti-Jacobin, and I hope you will sometimes wish you were within reach of supporting it by your voluntary contribution. I have desired a complete set to be sent to you, lest you should not otherwise receive it. God bless you. Ever affectionately yours, W. Pitt. The next, dated three months later, is not less sanguine, more especially in reference to finance and French invasion. It is noteworthy that Sheridan's speech in defense of the war was made after a good deal of private negotiation, to which in these years, at any rate, during the Addington government, Sheridan seems to have been addicted. The use of the word plug in this sense must be explained by more learned commentators. Gross and other kindred lexicographers throw no light. Wimbledon, April 22nd, 1798, 9 p.m. My dear Mornington, Lord Auckland has sent me word by a messenger who came just before dinner that he is sending, I know not how, some packet to you tonight. I had just before learned that a neutral ship from the Cape brings an account today of your arrival there and of your being perfectly well, which I hope we shall soon have verified by yourself. I have not time to write much this evening, but I am very glad to have an opportunity of telling you shortly how much the state of things has been improving since I wrote to you last. The voluntary contribution has succeeded to a great extent. The spirit and courage of the country has risen so as to be fairly equal to the crisis. I am to settle my loan tomorrow to the amount of fifteen millions, which will leave us without a single difficulty in finance, and I have no doubt of making it on better terms than last year. The plan for the sale of the land tax, which I think we talked of before you went, is going on. The bill is to be read a second time tomorrow, and in spite of many plugs from Sir William Pulteney, will certainly pass, and there is every reason to think the effect will be very considerable. In addition to these favorable circumstances, our traders at home, those chiefly of the lower class, have given us the means of seizing them to such a number as I believe to disconcert effectually whatever were their plans, and the Habeas Corpus Act has been suspended by a bill passed in both houses in one day. Our division, 183 to 5. Sheridan came, after long notice in general conversation and some private, to make an excellent speech against the French and his own friends here. But he was foolish enough to oppose the suspension and divide in the minority, in which the little of opposition that was in the House left him and voted with us. He did us some good, gained some credit to himself and not too much, and added to the disgrace of the seceders. Of the last class, Fox, Gray, and Whitbread remain, the first, I believe, forever, 
and the latter I cannot judge. The French go on, I believe, in earnest with plans and demonstrations of invasion, but the effect here is only to produce all the efforts and all the spirit we can wish. In addition to all this state of things at home, there is a chance, and a better than has appeared for a long time, that the monarchs remaining in Europe will awake before their thrones are taken from under them, and will think it better to lay aside interested jealousies among themselves than to remain any longer a prey to their common enemy. We shall, of course, encourage and incite this to the utmost, and if they are true to themselves, Europe will still be saved. If this should fail us, I think you may still count fully on finding England a country to receive you when you return from India, and I think you will find our friend, who quoted Pompey upon you at your departure, in better spirits and temper than you left him. He is doing everything that is right. I have tried to tell you all I could in a short time, and perhaps unintelligibly, ever yours, W. Pitt. The next letter gives Pitt's account of the duel. To us, his reference to Irish affairs is more interesting than his light-hearted account of the somewhat boyish escapade. Private, Downing Street, Thursday, May 31, 1798. My dear Mornington, I have not time to write you a very long letter, but as you will hear of me from others, I think you will like to be told by myself that I was under the necessity, last Sunday, of meeting Mr. Tierney in consequence of some expressions I had used in the House of Commons on the Friday preceding, and which I did not feel it right to explain. I enclose you a short statement of what passed, taken down by the seconds, before we left the ground. The business is ended to my perfect satisfaction, and I must say that Tierney conducted himself with the greatest propriety. I believe we parted better satisfied with each other than on any other occasion in our lives. You will hear that in Ireland the Jacobins, after many of their leaders being apprehended, have risen in open war, the contest has at present existed about a week. The government have acted with great spirit, and the troops of all descriptions behave incomparably. We cannot yet judge how far it may spread, but I trust with the present force and some augmentation from hence the rebellion will be crushed before any attempt can be made from France, and we must, I think, follow up such an event by immediate steps for a union." The French will probably try a magnificent project of invading Ireland from Toulon, but will be surprised at meeting Lord St. Vincent in the Mediterranean, where they least expect him. I have not time for another sheet. Ever yours, W. Pitt. Enclosure. May 28th. We are authorized to state that in consequence of what passed on Friday last, Mr. Pitt, accompanied by Mr. Ryder and Mr. Tierney, accompanied by Mr. George Walpole, met at three o'clock yesterday afternoon on Putney Heath. After some ineffectual attempts on the part of the seconds to prevent further proceedings, the parties took their ground at the distance of twelve paces. A case of pistols was fired at the same moment without effect. A second case was also fired in the same manner, Mr. Pitt firing his pistol in the air, the seconds then jointly interfered and insisted that the matter should go no further, it being their decided opinion that sufficient satisfaction had been given and that the business was ended with perfect honor to both parties. The next contains the innocent offer of the Irish marquisate, 
which caused such dire offence. Downing Street, November 6, 1799. My dear Mornington, I was in hopes to have atoned in some degree for my long silence by writing to you at large on all the interesting subjects on which you will wish for information, but I have been continually interrupted till the last moment, and must now confine my letter to a few lines. They must naturally be employed in the first place to tell you that, however, I trust you are sufficiently assured of already how warmly and sincerely I rejoice in all the success and glory which has attended your Indian government. In the midst of the agitations of Europe, the remoteness of the scene of action has not prevented the value of your services from being felt and estimated by the public as your warmest friends would wish. An Irish marquisate, which the king confers on you by the title of Marquis Wellesley of Nora, which is pitched upon on Bernard's authority, will, I hope, be satisfactory as an ostensible mark of approbation, and the further provision which Dundas will have explained to you is in contemplation, besides operating as a further acknowledgment of your services, is likely, I trust, to set your mind wholly at ease in what relates to the interest of your family. I must not attempt, in the haste in which I write, to enter into any particulars on the wide field of politics. Many of them, I know, you will hear from Canning, and probably from Grenville. In general, much indeed has been gained in the course of the present year, notwithstanding the failures and reverses of the latter part. If Austria can be made to act in earnest next year, and to aim at gaining her own objects through the medium of saving Europe instead of destroying it, everything we wish seems within reach of being accomplished in two campaigns more. The decision of Vienna is, however, wholly uncertain, and our best comfort is that if it fails us, we can return to our defensive system with unbroken spirits and resources, and trust to our own anchors to ride out the storm. I cannot end without thanking you for the particular accounts you sent me of our gallant friend Cook, about whom I am more interested than I can express. We are at this moment in great anxiety about him, as the accounts we have received of his being perfectly out of danger have been followed by others of a later date mentioning his death. But as these last come by Bombay and are only in general terms, I trust there is still some room left for hope. Ever affectionately yours, W. Pitt End of Section 16